Blog Talk Radio. This is Beth Baum with Southeast Green. Welcome to the Southeast Green Speaking of Green podcast. It's been a while since I've been on, but I'm very excited, as I always am with my guests, to uh, introduce you to someone who's running for the Georgia Public Service Commission. Um, the I have invited uh, multiple candidates to be on, but um, so far Dawn is the only one that has taken us up on the offer, so I really appreciate her willingness to come on line and speak with us. Um, let me give you a little background information about her. Dawn lives in Henry County with her husband, Chris. Dawn is an Army brat whose father, Jim, retired from the Army, and Mother Maggie served as a reservist. Dawn and Chris are members of Christ the King Catholic Church and support charitable organizations such as the Atlanta Humane Society, Goodwill North Georgia, and the Georgia State University Foundation. Dawn mentors young professional men and women entering the public sector as well as through her sorority, Gamma Phi Beta International Sorority, Inc., Dawn has served as a congressional aide to Senator Sam Nunn in the the state office handling veterans' affairs, natural resources, small business concerns, and local governmental issues. Dawn received a master's degree in public administration from Georgia State University while working full-time for the American Heart Association and in the Georgia Department of Community Affairs as a local government consultant. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you, Beth. I'm so glad to be here today. <clears throat> well, and we are thrilled that you accepted our invitation. Um, as you know, for our uh, readers and listeners on Southeast Green, the Public Service Commissioner is Public Service Commission races are probably the most important races in our minds. Um, so we really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule as a candidate to be with us. Um, why don't you let us um, let the listeners know? you know, why you decided to run and, and you know, what the background is and the impetus to run is all about. Absolutely, Beth. Thank you very much. And there is never um, an, an opportunity that I don't want to talk with folks or meet people. So this is my busy schedule is because it's an opportunity like this to be with people, to hear them and hear their questions but and you are representing so many wonderful folks so i thank you for taking the time to fit me into your schedule because i wanted to be here and i wanted to share my message with people and you know that is part of the reason why i am running for the georgia public service commission i want to put the public at the center of every decision i often tell folks i want to put the public back on the Georgia Public Service Commission. Earlier this year, the person who held this post stepped down after 24 years in this seat. And the governor appointed someone. And I thought, you know, we need a real consumer champion, somebody that has been working on consumer issues, has a 30-year career in public policy, someone that really is, you know, pays our bills, the regular energy bill, you know, opens up their power bill and 
write the check or, you know, make sure there's budget billing or, you know, has to figure out how to ensure that they are not going over their budget. And that is, you know, all of those reasons are why I'm running for the Public Service Commission. The other thing is this isn't the first time that I've run. I ran in 2006 when I was 40, and I got 40% of the vote. And now, 12 years later, I'm 52, and I need (laughs) 52% of the vote to win. And so this is not my first time. I've I've really um, looked at these issues over almost two decades now, and I've seen that my energy expenses keep going up. I see that my father, who is a retired military Army person, has, um, you know, a lifelong career to protect our vote. And my mother is a reservist also to protect our right to vote and our other rights as citizens, that this was my opportunity when this person stepped down for me to step up and to tell folks that it, we can do a change, a major change on the Public Service Commission, change those dynamics, It is easier than changing a light bulb to go into the voting booth, go down the voting and look at District 5, which is also a statewide race, and make a change on the PSC. So those are the multiple reasons I'm running. I'm running for you and me. I'm running for the public. I'm running to make sure that we have a secured and sustainable energy future. Well, and I really really appreciate that because my audience is um, very educated on the Public Service Commission, so we won't spend a lot of time going over sort of the the basics with the Public Service Commission. I like a deep dive, and I know you do too, so we're going to dive a little deeper, but I just want to say that, um, you know, the voters who listen to Southeast Green know that there has not been public in the Public Service Commission for a very long time. Um and so we just appreciate you. I love that idea of this time to step up, right? As someone else steps down, it's time to step up. And um, we didn't really discuss this, but um, I just want to say that your opponent um, has zero, zero experience um, in the Public Service Commission. And, you know, I'm so geeky and wonky. I actually watched um, the day and um, she actually mentioned um, horrific words in our in our vernacular, which is clean coal. So um, that tells you how um, unknowledgeable she is about the, the work of the Public Service Commission. Um, we will include a link to that uh, debate in the show notes. So if anybody wants to um, hop over and watch that uh, later on, they can. So... Um, and you know, please include my debate as well. I was about, please, please include okay. the link to my debate because many of the topics that we're going to talk about today I have covered early in the primary debate, and I want folks to know that, that this is something I've been working on for a really long time. That's great. That is, thank you for that. And then we'll also include the forum that um, the sustainability community did that Southeast Green um, you know, sort of rattled rallied the troops. So we'll include those three links so people can really get an opportunity to know you because you, you were so um, knowledgeable in the forum. Um, to, to, 
to get their information about candidates and, and the issues. But let's start off in regards to an issue with a new one that came up recently. Um, I am never I should I should never be surprised what comes out um, of the CEO of Southern Company because um, I will provide one more link where he talks about how cap capitalistic he is, but why Georgia Power should remain re- regulated. That's a video from. Um, a while back, but it was it was astounding that he said it. Um, so let's talk about. I'm going to let you you share what happened. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, you know, it is an incredible idea that while the chairman of Southern Company was at a Department of Homeland Security National Cybersecurity Summit, and I was. It, with a bunch of workers <laughs> who are amazing people who are actually working on Plant Vogel. Because, again, I believe when you're running for office, you have to talk with everyone, learn from everyone. And while I was down in Savannah, he said that when we are considering cyber hijacking of our energy grid, and our access to our entire computer network, they got it handled. And for those areas that they need to be a little worried about, they'll have a MacGyver plan. And I want to stop and pause there for a second. They have a MacGyver plan. Now, I love a good MacGyver plan. I'm always jerry-rigging something to fix something in my house or in my car. But let me tell you what, a paper clip, a gum wrapper foil, and a button are not going to protect a nuclear plant and our energy grid. And when I entered this race, the first thing I started talking about was cyber hijacking of our energy grid. Because I'm an Army brat, I have an international political science degree and a minor in military affairs, I know there's a real threat to someone hijacking and taking down our energy grid. And so I immediately put out a press release and said, as a commissioner, I'm going to demand that we have a solid plan in place and proof that Georgia's utility production and delivery system is safe. And again, while I love a good MacGyver plan, we have to look to the future rather than relying on old school skills to save us. There are a lot of new school ways, uh, the ways that we can protect our power system, and that requires new ways of thinking about how we use our energy, including looking at distributed generation as another answer to a a digital apocalypse. It was absolutely incredible when I was going from Columbus to Macon yesterday, I came across the Butler solar utility array it is over a thousand acres a hundred megawatts to serve 25,000 homes in the middle of Georgia with a tracking array system I was blown away I literally got out of my car and just took videos and stood there in awe of this incredible solar array in an area that is now fueling energizing 25,000 homes, that's distributed generation. That's one of the answers to ensure we don't have a digital apocalypse. And so by creating those smaller pockets of energy, 
we can help the end user. We can limit our impact of a large-scale system outage. And distributed generation is also cost-effective and has, big, big, big thing here, lower environmental impact. I have to tell people that policy matters, and public policy matters to everyone, and that's why I'm running for the Public Service Commission, again, because I have a 30-year career in public policy, regulations, managing and analyzing billion-dollar budgets. And when someone says, oh, we're going to MacGyver a plan, that may be fine for fixing a car on the side of the road or making sure your washing machine works, but that is not what we need to ensure and protect our energy grid. Well, and it, I'm, everyone has a... <laughs> an emotional link to MacGyver, even if they've never watched the show, right? It's become part of our lexicon, part of our our uh, our language. Everyone knows what a MacGyver means. But the other thing that a MacGyver means is is that you're under high, high stress. <laughs> and I don't want our electric grid to be managed or the cybersecurity thing to be managed when we're all under high, high stress. Now I know that, you know, you can't you can't plan for every scenario but uh, you know, all I all, when you told me this um, before we got on air, all I could think of was, oh, like we MacGyvered the airport when the airport went down. I mean, that's that was no fun, you know. And um, the reality of it is, it was human error, and um, it, basically, they, there was things that could have been better done, and simple, stupid things that don't even cost money. Like, well, some they cost a little money, but in in the scheme of things, you know, when you weigh the national embarrassment versus the cost, it really seems insignificant. With, with you know, they just needed to do some updating on signage and things like that. So, um, and I think this is one of and the that things is true, where... Yeah. Right, no, I was going to say, that is one. true. And, and we also... Oh, go, keep, keep going. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, your role is to hold... Georgia Power accountable, and just how 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 are you going to to sort of you know hold hold them accountable? The well, the first thing is asking tough questions and having the knowledge and background to ask those tough questions. When, as you mentioned in, in my bio, I worked for Senator Sam Nunn for five years, and I worked with every single federal agency. I were, I've been to Plant Vogel one, one and two back in the day. I've been to the Savannah River site. I have worked on complex. I mean, Senator Nunn was on was the chairman of the security in the Senate. I mean, he was chairman of our Armed Services Committee. He, we had incredible early training about the important questions to ask, and that. You know, like anybody that's an athlete, a mathlete, uh, you know, inclined to understand and be a subject matter expert, it takes years of years of years of study and learning and training to ask some really tough questions and to make sure that the answers you get back, you know, are on the right track or off the rails. And again, when I heard that saying of we're going to MacGyver plan this situation, I knew that was off the rails. And we have, in my understanding and studies and, and just being in this field of policy for 30 years, 
I know when I'm getting snowed. And that's another piece of holding uh, the people that we regulate accountable. The other piece about having accountability on the commission is being independent. You know, I'm not running for this office to join a boys club. I am running for this office for the people. And I will serve for the people, which is why I committed both in my last race and in this race not to take money from executives of the utilities we have to regulate. I am not going to take a dime from the vice presidents and surrogates of the utilities. Now, if someone who works in the trenches and call centers and on the line want to give me 25 or $50, that's the regular folks. But I have sworn and I will not take money from the people I regulate. And that's how you also hold them accountable. Because at the end of the day, you can say, listen, this was a people-first campaign, not a utility campaign. Well, and, of course, we know um, already uh, that that is not the case with your opponent, nor um, most of the sitting commissioners um, on the commission. Uh, they, they and, and what's really interesting is, is um, you know, it's not just, you know, it's not it's not just it's not just Georgia Power. There's lots of utilities that people are unaware of that we will cover at the end of the thing. But like you know, telecom um, companies, you know, out in the state, um, and those people are also donating regularly to sitting commissioners. So um, I appreciate that integrity piece because I mean that's the problem. Um, as as a Christian, and my listeners know that I'm a Christian. Um, I have been saying over and over and over how important it is to guard your heart. You're so corruptible and susceptible. It's, it can be dizzying when, you know, you get into an elected position and all the people who want to be your best friend all of a sudden. And um, it's in Proverbs where it says guard, guard your heart. And and so I really appreciate you taking that stance because so many people say that and it's not. Um so let's talk about more money and accountability. So, uh, you know, Plant Vogel, um, we've had, I think, at least three um, deep dives on Plant Vogel on the podcast. Um, and we all know that it's um, it's it's been a mess. And so, and, and the public commission has not held... Um, Georgia Power, I mean, they've even ignored their own staff recommendations. I mean, the staff recommendation uh, came out and and said, you know, if you move forward with Vogel, then it should all be on Georgia Power, and they did not even listen to that. So you've got, you're walking into a good old boys club, right? Let's be honest. Um, I know all the commissioners um, personally now, except um, the replacement for Stan Wise, but, you know, no Chuck and no uh, Tim and, and no Doug. And uh, it, it, I, I hate to use the term good old boys because as you walking on as potentially the only female or, you know, maybe Chuck will lose his seat and there'll be two females, how are you going to hold Georgia Power accountable with all the stuff that's gone under the water. You know, Beth, you're right about that. We use good old boys as a euphemism um, for things that have been entrenched and that they're hard to break into. And 
but but you know we have amazing men out there building plant vogel that rely on it for their livelihoods and their families so i don't want to diminish or um, make it sound like it is all the fault of men because we have good men who can do good things and good women also who are engineers and who are tradespeople, and we need to make sure that we hold them up, even though we use all these, you know, descriptions that, you know, put people in a box in a category. So I, I want to shout out to the hard workers out there in every field that really go to work every morning with their bodies and their minds and make sure that they are recognized as really the people that are the backbone of any project that's out there, building or running any of our energy assets. So kudos to them. And that's actually part of the equation of how you break in and you make change is I have been with the workers of Plant Vogel and listened to them. And I was there actually the week before this current story broke about the stoppage and the delays. And the workers were telling me that a lot of this is occurring because they don't have their supplies the engineering plans are incorrect. They are not being valued for the skills that they bring to the table. And that's a problem. Um, when we sit up in Atlanta and not get out into the real part of Georgia, and I live in Henry County, so I'm, I'm a little removed from the middle of Atlanta, but when we don't get out there and talk with folks, we miss a big part of this picture. And even they agree that you have to have good project management you have to be accessible to the people that are doing the job and that you have to hold that management accountable. And even many of them say, listen, we want to get this job done, but we want it done on budget and on time. And that is what we have to do. We have to get out there and find out with their work, getting them, the workers, to sit down at the table and say, this is how it could be done better and on budget, on time. Because we have already invested our hard dollars, our, ours, you and me and my parents and our friends and our family, we have all put money into Plant Vogel. And we need to make sure that going forward, every single meeting that discusses Vogel, we hold management's feet to the fire. And if they are not able to deliver on time and on budget, then they need to pony up for the difference. And that is, that's good business. Otherwise, what we have right now is bad business. And anybody, doesn't matter your party affiliation, should want this project to be completed on budget and on time and really value the people that are breaking their backs, sweating in their brows, and going to work every morning and every shift, every night shift, that, that we respect their intelligence and their ability and get this thing done. Well, and, of course, we've already missed multiple deadlines. Um, and uh, the irony to me is, is I have just received an email saying that, um, the, <laughs> that they're on time. Um, I mean, like as a press release from Georgia Power. So I will be curious to read that. But but the reality of it is is the trust has been broken with the public. And the trust, it sounds like, has been broken with, you know, their own contractors and employees. And so it seems like, you know, now 
excuse me, now that um, there's so much attention on them and in maybe regards to this, yes. that now they're like, where, oh, now we're going to do it, right? But I'm like, hello, yeah. you've already missed multiple deadlines. Go on, sorry. You know, no, I mean, you're actually very much right. I mean, can you imagine if, um, again, a large engineering construction project when uh, the connector went up in flames two winters ago? Can you imagine if that project had been delayed and cost more and more and more? There have got to be ways that we hold these folks accountable. And, and what you're identifying, that's part of the reason why I stepped up and ran. I was pretty mad at being used as a blank check for an overpriced, undelivered product. I, that is part of the thing that wakes me up at night and gets me going every morning. I'm hopping mad. But I also, as I said, I want to be respectful of the people on the ground that are the real the real ones that are carrying the burden uh, on their backs to get the project done and then keep getting idled and delayed. So, yes, um, we, this is not an easy thing. Uh, it's not a magic wave, the one thing, but it is, it is a passionate thing. And working together with you, your great folks that are, you know, listening to your podcast and finding solutions of brilliant minds and holding the feet to the fire of the management I have a little better feeling that we can get it done. And, again, it takes sending a signal that, you know, I stepped up to do this. Uh, Lindy Miller stepped up to do this. And we are both very passionate about this. And I want to give a shout-out to her as well because we can see the dynamics and the change. We have to do that, and we have to partner. And we have to let the public know that they have a choice on November 6th, that they don't have to just put the same old, same old, because that sends a signal to everybody is that the power shift is happening. And we will be taken seriously because the public has spoken. That's great. And the other thing I just want to toss in, because this really burns me, is not only have we as individuals been blamed, but the small businesses of Georgia have been paying. The school systems have been paying. The churches have been paying. And it just, it feels so morally incorrect that they didn't get serious about managing this program, um, this, you know, this this uh, construction until they got in trouble with it, right? I mean, it sounds like, you know, uh, anyway, all right, I can't get off on it anymore because it's just so frustrating. <laughs> and bad stewardship is is also something that it mentioned. I am a person also of deep faith, and you know we have to be accountable. Uh, and we've even had members of the commission make public statements that this has gone wrong. Well, it's not just about making public statements; it's gone wrong. It's about stepping up and having a plan to make sure it goes right. It's about getting, um, it's it's like all you do is make sure that that's, you're getting paid, you're getting hired to do this. We got to make sure this goes right. And that's, again, why I'm doing it. So I don't think we can talk about it enough because a lot of times people go into a voting booth and they vote for the top um, governor, lieutenant governor, maybe Congress. And there are many, many of us down ballots 
who impact everyone's lives every single day from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to sleep. And we are reaching into their wallets and taking money out to pay for a project. So we have really got to spread the word far and wide that come November 6th, it is time to make a change. And for many people, um, this doesn't even come down party lines, right? Um, This is about good this is about good business practices, right? You know, do the job Absolutely. you say you're going to do. I, I think people would be more forgiving if they were like, you know, we had a plan, it went wrong. But, I mean, they basically have been unapologetic about it, right? Um, you know, and pointing the finger in other, other directions, which that's also very aggravating, especially a, a, a company the size that it is. Uh, you would just expect, I guess, in my mind, my humble opinion, um, a little more maturity. Like, you know, own it and, and fix it. And um, so, yeah. And again, you know, they have so many amazing people that fix down lines. You know, again, I want to shout out to all the people that do their job and do it well. When we have storms come through. They work to get the power back on because they know we have vulnerable people in their homes who may be on a ventilator or need oxygen or itty-bitty babies that, you know, are in an incubator. We, we have good people. So why don't we have those at the top, as you said, being held accountable and seeing that we could have put these billions of dollars of resources because I would love to move and talk about the future and the expansion of solar. Um, we could put it into other projects. Uh, we could put it into EV charging stations. Imagine what we could have done with a $14 billion that is over budget. So this project right now is being estimated to be $28 billion, and every one of your listeners knows that. It started at $14 billion. What could we have done for an infrastructure and putting people to work if the project had been done on budget and on time? That's, I think, what makes my gut hurt, is where could we have invested $14 billion? And as we were mentioning at the beginning of the program, the solar arrays that are out there fueling homes and barely emitting any carbon. <laughs> I mean, there's no carbon footprint there. And the sustainability. So let's, let's move and let's talk about opportunities. Okay. Um... Well, first of all, you know, you're singing my song. Um, I am solar geek and self-admitted. And um, we'll talk about, we'll, st- we'll start with the first opportunity, which is um, Georgia Power was um, uh, offered to have a residential program. They had 10,000 inquiries into the program, and I think they sold under 10 systems. And they used those numbers to say, see, nobody wants to do residential solar in Georgia. Um, then on ramp the solarized programs, which we are now, um, I think we're at five now, maybe six, rapidly moving into seven or eight programs where we've had over um, 250 installations in Georgia Power Territory. That's the other thing that's critical in Georgia Power Territory. Um, so it proves that there's plenty of appetite for solar uh, residential. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that the the commission sort of can say, hey, guys, so what would your strategy be to convince Georgia Power that 
you know, residential solar is not only good for consumers, but also good for Georgia Power? You know, one of the things about the public-private partnerships, which you're talking about, Solarize Atlanta, it gets citizens moving. And more public-private partnerships are what we absolutely do need to make things happen. So what I was looking at in doing my research is, I, you know, I spent my high school years in Germany. I lived in Heidelberg um, as an Army brat in the early 80s. And we were fortunate that we not only were on post, but we were also off post. And I lived in the last three years uh, while my parents were there, we lived in a town that was 700 years old. Uh, the home that we lived in was probably about 40, 50 years old, possibly. And, you know, that was the, the efficiencies that, the, that German homes are built on is pretty awesome. But then decades later now, um, you look back and you Google Earth and you look down at the house that I lived in. And on top of the roof are solar panels, and so are the neighbors, and so are the people across the street. Last May, Germany had 82% of its energy resources coming from renewables. And Germany is at a higher latitude, almost up there on the same latitude as Canada, than we are. So we have the sun we now have the battery technology. We now have the infrastructure of solar companies. We now have workers trained and ready to install. And so with all that being said, investment in solar takes us next year in 2019, creating an integrated resource plan, which is basically the strategic plan of the state's energy policy to create the opportunity to expand solar. My goal, right now we have about a gigawatt. My goal is to have a gigawatt a year. For the next six years, I will be in office so that we have seven gigawatts of solar by the time we're done. I am a trained strategic planner. I am a person that has done environmental scans and not in just terms of the environment, but when you're looking at a strategic plan, how do you look at a SWOT analysis? Where are strengths, our opportunities, our weaknesses, our threats? How do you build a budget? And I believe working with everybody in the state, going out and taking public comment and looking at capacity and finding out where we have that environmental scan and taking all of that together and creating a truly amazing integrated resource plan, we move the utilities into a place where we have a sustainable energy future. I love it. I, I love that. Let's let's add a gig a, a gig a year. I mean, it's totally doable. I mean, what, one of the places that Georgia has been very successful where other states have not, is um, utility scale. Now, part of that is because they, Georgia Power wisely partnered with uh, DOD, Department of Defense, and we have, um, <clears throat> I think it's 90 megawatts in Savannah and 90 megawatts um, in Columbus. So, But we are the largest land mass east of the Mississippi. So Georgia's got plenty of land. Um, I've heard some people down south say, 
well, what are we going to eat if we put solar? I'm like, we don't worry, we mm-hmm. got plenty, right? So, well, um, and, and so it's yes. education, and, right? And not just land. I mean, look at places that are putting solar on roofs of large companies, large, you know, big box establishments of retail, parking lots. You know, there's two things that happen when you put solar parking lot. You basically provide, um, especially those, you know, in, in our beautiful southern part of the state, you provide them shelter from the heat while they're shopping, and you're gathering all of those beautiful rays from the sun for energy. That is a win-win, and you are stopping all of that heat exchange from the asphalt and the pavement from going back up in the air. I mean, that is like a, a trifecta. You get, you're gathering energy from the sun with those solar panels. You're covering cars that are idling while they're doing their important work of shopping for their families. And you're protecting our environment from the heat exchange that's coming off the asphalt. Oh, my goodness. There are other ways that we do this. And that's, again, you sit down with folks that are, even more brilliant and passionate than you and I, Beth, um, (laughs) that really can think about all of those ways that we get it out there into our communities. And then, you know, like yesterday I was sitting down with the building trades folks and talking about solar and, you know, ways that they're also training people to become electricians by putting these installations in. And granted, they're they're not long-term projects, but they're projects that start the building skills of the electrician. And they're out there and they're training people in their community. They're not shipping folks in. They're taking people. They're training them on the ground. And, you know, we also have an opportunity up and down this, this particular time and this ticket to work with the new commissioner of labor to provide soft skills for those trainers on the ground, on the job, so that they understand what it takes to be an entrepreneur maybe and even start their own electrical company. Uh, You know, there are so many things we could be doing. And, uh, again, this is not a partisan issue. This is a good business issue. This is a worker issue. This is a family issue. I'm, I'm just, you know, like I said, I wake up every day thinking about new ways to partner with folks. Well, and the other thing is, is, um, I love it how um, negative excuses are found for the solar industry, but not any other industry. So I want to touch on this idea of like, well, you know, a solar installation goes up quickly. Well, so does a house. But no one ever says, well, when you build a house, then you, then you lose jobs. You just go to the next project, right? So um, it's, it's always fascinating to me to listen to sort of the excuses that people, or not, not the excuses, but the criticism people come up with for something that for whatever reason they don't think is a good idea versus every other construction job in the state, right? Nobody said, well, they're only going to build one stadium, so we're not going to build it because we're gonna, they're going to lose their jobs afterwards. <laughs> Nobody says that. So um, anyway, another thing. Yes, put know, your thinking caps on people. <laughs> yes. And part of, you know, my brain is because for 24 years I've worked with people with mental health, substance use disorder and disabilities in a policy arena. And I've seen the possibilities when people say, oh, that person can't work. Uh-uh. 
No, we just haven't worked hard enough to figure out how they can work. Oh, that person can't live in the community. Uh-uh. We just haven't worked hard enough to figure out wraparound services. I have worked with some of the most vulnerable populations and been told no many times. People always say, well, how are you going to go up against this or that? And I'm like, listen, I've been there. My metal's been tested over and over again, and I have seen beautiful plans come together and seen people that have gone from um, tax users to tax payers and are still in a little bit of a vulnerable health state, and they love going to work as much as they can. So I don't take no for an answer. That must be something. So I, we should confess that we found out we're, we're sorority sisters completely, you know, just um, randomly. And that must be something that's about us being our sorority, right? We do not like the answer no. Um, you know, and, and I think that's – I just think people want to say, oh, well, it's easier, so no. Or it's more convenient, so no. Or um, it, it disrupts with my 1980s dinosaur vision of uh, energy future. So, no. You know, I just just work a little harder, people. I mean, we talk about how we love that. But, you know, I, we know from the last 10 years that solutions can be found. So I, I like it that you're just not going to just let people say, oh, we can't do that and not, and not explore why or how. Um, and especially, I mean, we all love our veterans, right? We all, especially these guys who are coming off the line now who've been, you know, in the Middle East for years, they need good good jobs that use their problem-solving skills, you know. And so solar jobs in particular um, seem to be a really good fit for them. And a lot of them have already been working with solar, ironically, because the military said, you know, this is the way we save money is we put solar out on these remote bases, so which I've also done a couple interviews on on the podcast. So anyway, well, this is this is really good. So um, anything else you want to say about solar until we move into the next little bit? Uh, actually, I want to give a shout-out to a program of the union workers in Augusta because they have a program called Helmets to Hard Hats. And two of the folks that, that I met with recently went through that program. Uh, they were military, you know, had wonderful uh, honorable discharges, served their country. And what the union is doing is working with DOD. DOD. They're going on to bases be- way before the discharge papers are in one's hand. And they are helping them in a training program and a trade and they are doing a skills assessment. I, I am just, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so amazing because the military has my heart. I mean, that's, I was born at Bethesda Naval Hospital, graduated from Heidelberg High School next to USERA. And so I want to know where our veterans can be served best. And so helmets to heart outs. And then part of that whole thing is they have a solar, solar training program. And they're teaching uh, through Helmets to hard hats, part of that is solarized. And, wow. So, th- again, they're doing that. I didn't know about that program. I went and sat down with them and learned all about it. It's, it means that we are out there, and we're seeing that this new technology, as well as getting them trained in 
you know, because they're now understanding electrical and construction and carpentry and all of those amazing things, like you said, building homes, building stadiums. Uh, if we haven't even touched on energy efficiency, and they could yeah. be creating opportunities to put energy, you know, become um, energy efficiency experts and retrofitting homes so that they're the cheapest form of energy is no use at all. And energy efficiency jobs can be also gained with our helmets to hard hats. So it's, there's all those things. Right. Well, and really quickly, I, I just, I, I want to be clear. I think sometimes people are like, oh, you're bashing the utilities. And, and I just want to be very clear. I am a Southern woman of a particular age. I am grateful, <laughs> grateful for the lifestyle that we are enabled here um, in the South and actually all over the world where the electricity is available. I, I am not anti-utility, but I am pro-appropriate use, right? And, um, you know, I think that most people would agree that waste is not a good thing. And when people realize how much waste is going on uh, in the utility industry, because that's the way we've always done it, um, then then they'll understand my passion to say, like, we need you guys, and we need you bad, in particular managing the grid, although that's another place that we could get sort of sidetracked. But, you know, we love you guys. We, we, we're we grateful for computers and things that run off the, the thing that you produce, but just do it in a way that doesn't kill the environment and do it in a way that honors and respects the money that you are getting from your customers. Okay, off my soapbox. So let's talk about some of the things that people don't know because I was, um, you know, I've, followed public service commission races for years now and there's still a bunch of stuff that people don't know that the public service commission actually sort of does because we just think they manage georgia power and that's it so what what are some of the other things that um when you um if you are honored to get the vote of the people of georgia that you'll be doing as a public service commissioner Yes, and I am honored and thank people for the vote in the primary. I won my race with 79%, which was the largest percentage statewide of any candidate either side of the aisle. And that is because people really, my, my message resonated with them. And part of my message was that, yes, the Public Service Commission does more than just regulate utilities, even though I say the word just. That's a big job. It also is the um, Georgia No Call program, which we're all so frustrated because people call on our cell phones and our landlines to uh, solicit us, and so they have the Georgia No Call program. They have the Audible Universal Information Access program, which is the Audible Reading program for people that are – um, blind and uh, they can so that the papers are read to them daily. They have the telecommunications relay service, which are for folks that are of deaf and hard of hearing so that they can communicate. And there are other programs like they have the human trafficking hotline, uh, which is someone that is being sold in the sex trade can call a 1-800 number and get help. Uh, you know, these are programs that nobody talks about. They always talk about utilities, but they're very vital to the lives of people who may have um, blindness 
or low vision or hard of hearing or deaf. I mean, that is a, a, a critical communication piece. When I think about um, what I can do to better serve the public, I think about how do we promote to make sure that every nonprofit and church out there knows that these services are available so that we don't have a single citizen that is not connected to information. And, you know, yes, Beth, we are of a certain age, but I'm very proud to be 52. Uh, I'm very proud of all the technologies that, that has advanced. And so, you know, my mother made me take typing in high school. You know, I was doing calculus and algebra and, you know, trigonometry and uh, chemistry and very, very blessed that I am science-minded and had a bent towards science. But she said, you have to take typing. You must take typing. And I was like, oh, Mom, I'm rolling my eyes. And I did. I took a year of typing. And let me tell you what, learning QWERTY and being able to type proficiently and fast and now moving, you know, but when I went to college, my dad said, and you're taking a trash 80 and you're taking an Apple computer the next year and you're taking a, a Commodore. And so I moved along. I transferred my skill from typing on a typewriter to typing on a keyboard to now typing on an iPhone. And that's the way we need to think of things in a very heavy technology science agency like the Public Service Commission. How do we make sure that our telecommunications relay, our audible reading program, and even our human trafficking hotline so that someone has the ability to maybe text that they're in trouble, that can go on and find a way to get help, how do we move that through life? How do we take skills, make them transferable, and make them accessible? So those are the other programs that I have a mind to and know that as I've evolved through my life and continually updated my skills and made sure that I have moved through all of our transfer technology, that we bring that, including updating the public service website. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. It it reflects I think the stodginess that people think the public service commission is. Um where those of us who are in sustainability know it really is one of the most exciting places to be because there's so much change and helping create and uh navigate that change is, is actually a lot more exciting than a lot of the stuff that the legislator does. And I want to touch on that that hotline uh, for human trafficking. Uh, I know Commissioner Eccles has a deep, deep, deep heart for that subject. Um, but I'm like, I didn't even know. I know he has a deep heart for the subject, and he may have told me, and it didn't stick. But, you know, that's like something that, like, everybody should know in the state of Georgia. Everybody should Everybody should. should. That. And that's why with my campaign, if you follow me on Facebook, um, Don Randolph for Georgia Public Service Commission or at Randolph for Georgia, uh, you can go to my website, RandolphForGeorgia.com, all spelled out, R-A-N-D-O-L-P-H-F-O-R-G-E-O-R-G-I-A.com, and you can click on my Facebook, uh, follow me on Twitter. We do Tuesday Tips and Factual Fridays. And we provide information about all of these programs that other people do not talk about. 
and we provide tips. For example, if you have your ceiling fan on, you can turn your thermostat up three to four degrees and save money because you've got air circulating in that room. Uh, tips like changing out your uh, filter in your HVAC system because that also helps with airflow and cuts down on the cost and um, the burden on your unit. Uh, we talk about where the LIHE heat program, which is the low income heating um, and energy assistance program that the federal government, it will be opening up for applications in November. We talk about the human trafficking hotline. We talk about the audible um, reading program. And with this, this campaign is not just about running for office. It's about educating, activating, and motivating people to make sure that because they're paying their taxes to support the agency and because they're paying their energy bills, they get all that information. And so Randolph for Georgia, all spelled out, uh, .com. You can go and link on my Twitter and my Facebook, and you can get those Tuesday tips and the Fact Fridays to make sure that you're in the know and you're doing everything you can to lower your energy bills because that's what it's about, helping every citizen make sure that they're paying the right amount and that when we work on setting the rates in 2019 and creating the new integrated resource plan, we have everybody at the table. We have current technology, current information, for a sustainable energy Georgia. Wow. That is a perfect way to wrap up this conversation. And we are at the end of our time, so I don't want us to, you know, go over. They'll just disconnect us. So um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your vision, your passion, your uh, your willingness to get out there and serve. It's not easy. I mean, like, you know, hey, make into Columbus. That may like sound like fun, but you're going to do it for every single day until the November election. That might not be quite so fun, you know. So um, it just takes <laughs> a, an extreme amount of dedication, and I just really, really appreciate um, you doing it because it's, I mean, there's, there's a reason a lot of people don't do, do it because it's, it's not easy. Um, and and well, And in the end, yeah. there'll be many benefits, but the big benefit, you don't even, there's no guarantee, right, that you'll win. Well, let's, you know, Beth, working together, let's put the public back on the Public Service Commission. We have two opportunities to hire consumer champions and energy advocates. And those, they are statewide races, and we are accessible. I am Don Randolph, and I'm running to put the public back on the Public Service Commission. Great. Thank you so much, Dawn. Um, we will look forward to, to following you as you move through the campaign season. And um, the best of luck. Thank you, Beth. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And, again, RandolphForGeorgia.com. Let's get this uh, party started. Woo! All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You know... We have we have great public service commissioners um, in regards to uh, the work that they do. They're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. They're not perfect, but they are they are great people. But it's so refreshing to have someone who's so passionate and so knowledgeable, and you know, is willing to get out there and go across the state. Because let's face it, a lot of our commissioners, um, Commissioner Eccles, hardest working commissioner in Georgia, and I have been to, with him multiple places, um, 
Commissioner McDonald also has traveled some, but you know the you know it's so amazing to have someone who's who's willing to risk it all, you know, to take you know almost you know over um, so you know over seven or eight months to say I'm going to get out there and I'm going to work for Georgians and um, you know all candidates do it, but uh, well I, no that's not true. All candidates do not do it. So I just really appreciate um, that we have someone who's so passionate. Uh, if anybody has a candidate they would like to be interviewed, um, I would welcome the assistance on getting them onto the podcast. Um, like I said, we've asked multiple people to be on, and Dawn's the only one that stepped up the plate and f- actually followed up with me and said, hey, let's make this happen. So we really appreciate your time. I, um, I'm sorry that I'm not in a season where I can be podcasting more. I always get compliments on the, the, the conversation. We are signing out with DJ Lang and the water drop.